Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Hi, I'm the oldest. I'm Steve. I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy. I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember the story story. Pints are not a good measure for filling jaggers as fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode four of the Podclarks. So, Mr. Stee, do you have a lovely tale to tell us this uh, episode? Well, thank you. I've got three tales, if we've got the time. They're all to do with my very first jobs, um, because it, I thought um, the work that we do, we spend a lot of time working... And in my case, it's influenced a lot of how my life has ended up. So I've had three basic main jobs. Um, I was a teacher in Zambia uh, in the forestry department there. And then I spent 15 years managing refugee relief projects around the world and another 15 years in a digital education project. But before all of that, I had three kind of starter jobs, which were rather fun. And it's the starter jobs that I want to tell you about today. Mm. So... uh, when I was 14, I was a paperboy. And you might not think that anything interesting comes out of being a paperboy, but you would be wrong. So wrong. I grew up in the southeast of England, which is like the heartland of the Conservative Party. And uh, paperboys there have to deliver papers, newspapers. Uh, <laughs> The vast majority were the Daily Telegraph, which was the chosen uh, newspaper of the Conservative Party, really. But there were also other ones. There was a smattering of Daily Mails on my round. Um, uh, Occasionally, I think there were two copies of The Sun that I had to deliver. And most shocking of all, um, there was a copy of The Guardian, which I didn't didn't quite deliver it in a plain brown envelope, but it it was pretty shocking (laughs) for that part of the country. So I used to turn up at quarter to seven in the morning at the newsagents in the town of Godalming. And Mr and Mrs Smith, believe it or not, that's their real names, but it's so long ago it doesn't really matter. Um, and anyway... <laughs> no nope, track them down. Nobody's going to believe they're Mr Mrs Smith. And even if they do, there's too many of them to find it. Um, but they would be in the newsagent. And the, the newspapers have a kind of smell that I can even smell now as you went in the door. Uh, and they would be busily putting the newspapers in the right order for my round. Um, And then I'd put them all in a big, huge canvas bag, sling it over my shoulder, hop on my bike and cycle up the hill uh, to deliver the newspapers and bring to the community the news of today. Or rather the news of yesterday, I should say, actually, in those days, because it was always printed the day after the news happened. It's not like it is now. But anyway, so uh, and off I'd go. And um, occasionally there would be mistakes. Uh, Perhaps Mr Smith got distracted or Mrs Smith got annoyed, but anyway, somewhere along the line, um, the uh, the papers might not be in the correct order. But usually, because I knew the round well, I could work out what had gone wrong, and there was usually the right number of papers, and you just had to shuffle them around and make sure that everyone got what they are expecting. However, on this particular occasion, um, I don't know what had happened, but uh, a copy of the Daily Telegraph had been substituted for a copy of The Sun, and no matter how I shuffled around with the newspapers, I couldn't make it work. So then I hit on the idea because in my round, I had used to deliver to our own house where I lived, to my my father and my mother. And uh, my father used to take the Daily Telegraph because he lived in Godalming in Surrey. So I thought, oh, what I'll do is I'll deliver my father's Daily Telegraph to this house and take the copy of Sun and give it to my father. And he can go down to the newsagent and swap it job done you know problem solved nobody gets un- nobody's unhappy or so I thought but it turned out that I don't I mean this is a little bit of the injustice of the world we live in because I was really pleased with that and my father went down and he swapped his uh, newspaper and off he went and he got his daily telegraph and the next morning at quarter to seven when I turned up at the news agent Mr Smith said to me now he said your father might be gullible he said but I'm not I won't have that happen ever again and I was left completely bewildered as to as to what I was supposed to have done what, other than it, sold. Yeah. I, I don't know what he thought I'd done or why I thought I'd done it. Well, you printed your own <laughs> copy of The Sun to try and confuse him. <laughs> That's really bizarre. It, I mean, it was really bizarre. And I, I, as you can tell, I carry the, the, the pain of that injustice <laughs> to this, to this, to this to all these years. How old were you doing a paper round? 14. Oh. Yeah. But anyway, that's not that's not the real story about this copy of the sun because on this copy of the sun, which I took home, 
Uh, it had a big banner headline across the top of it, and it said, win £1,000 with the super sky-soaring sun. And it was the big sort of biggest print on the front page. And I, you know, well, £1,000, if you look, uh, in 1973, uh, is worth about £10,000 now. So it's a lot Whoa. of money. And I thought, well, that's, you know, it attracted my interest, shall we say. And I, I looked into the, uh, the competition page, skating hastily past page three as I did, and uh, discovered that uh, what they wanted you to do was to find as many words as you could that made up of the letters from the super sky-soaring sun. Just simple as that, you see. So I set my heart on winning this £1,000. And um, I got out uh, the dictionary at home. We had the Oxford Dictionary at home. And ploughed through it, word by word, writing down the ones that had contained the letters I could find within the super sky-soaring sun. And I found quite quickly that K was, a, was one that wasn't, isn't very common. So I was, just looked for Ks and then... If, if it had a Y in it as well, then I probably wrote it down. Because I thought to myself as I went along, nobody's ever going to go and check through all these lists to see <laughs> if any of these words are written. Because, of course, you didn't have, you know, that digital Wasn't searching digital, or anything. Yeah, yeah. And I, it occurred to me that nobody's ever going to check it. So I was just scribbling down all these words with, words with Ys and Ks in them. Until my mother, who was a teacher, said to me... Um, have you have you seen the title of the book you're using for that? And it turns out that almost every Oxford English dictionary you look at has got the words concise or shorter or abridged in front of it um, because it's got down to one volume. And what I didn't know is that the actual Oxford English dictionary in 1973 ran to 12 volumes, hardback wow. volumes. Oh. But I wanted this £1,000. So I went down to the library who had a copy of spent this. spent £1,000 um, on a copy. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, well, I spent £1,000 with my time. But anyway, uh, they'd got the 12 volumes down there and I started ploughing my mm. way through this and just produced screeds of paper. I didn't ever finish it, but I did go an awful long way through it and I thought, there's no way anyone's going to beat me on this. So, But, you know, I tend to leave everything to the last minute. The deadline was coming up. Uh, and then finally, it was the last day of posting to get this back to the to the competition, and I ended, and then it was about five o'clock, and the post office closed at half past. So I was in a real rush, sealed this thing up, um, and wanted it to be sure to to get there. So I was going to register it. Um, we used to call it registered post in those days. I think it's called um, signed for or guaranteed next day now. Anyway, it went down there, and I was prepared for a shock at the price of posting this. Um, this dossier off to the to the super sky soaring sun what i wasn't prepared for having fled down the hill on my bike at 100 miles an hour was to get to the post office and look in my back pocket and find that there was no envelope and it had fallen out on the way (laughs) crushing well the thing was it was such a sort of significant item i thought well i've i'll just cycle straight back the route i've cycled and i'll pick it up and bring it back i might just make it for the post office closes well, I cycled all the way home, no sign of the letter. Signed all, circled all the way back to the post office, no sign of the letter. I never found the letter. Aww. And I'm sure to this day that somebody picked it up, saw what it was, changed the name, put their name in, entered it, <laughs> and won my £1,000. And have been living a life of prosperous wealth ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Oh, sorry, Steve. <laughs> That's not the main story. I wanted to tell you about there being a, a paper paper boy either. I started that paper round when I was 14 and I took over from my brother, David, who had done it for several years and pr- pr- produced great service uh, for the local community. And shortly after I took it on, um, the local newspaper launched this competition. And the competition was to find the best paper girl or paper boy in Surrey. And to do this, they asked us to distribute um, uh, a questionnaire to our customers. And the questionnaire was all sorts about how your, beha- how your paper person behaved, um, whether they were polite if you saw them, whether they kicked your milk bottles over, um, <laughs> whether, you, whether you got the right newspaper, all this sort of thing. And of course, in my case, it was yes, 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 brilliant, 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 five stars, five stars. Oh, of course. So, and because of that, round one, I made it to, uh, as one of the 25 finalists. And my brother David maintains to this day that actually I was trading on all his good years of good service, and that's why that's why everybody thought that I was a good good paper boy. Do you just quickly do you know how many that's 
from in, like because to me twenty five sounds like quite a lot of shortlists people in the first place. I guess it's the whole of if it's the whole of sorry. That's, no, well, that's no, a you raise area. a very good very good point, and I I I think there weren't there probably weren't that many entries twenty six or so, um, <laughs> which makes the story all the more mm. interesting. Anyway, I squeezed in by hook or by crook by um, sort of mm. corruption or good good um, good action. <laughs> the paperboy corruption. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so I got through to be a, 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 a finalist. And the final uh, was on a Sunday evening, of all things, um, in a pub. <laughs> now, Shock horror. I had never been in a pub before. Well, I was 14. I'd never been in a pub before. But I don't think my parents had ever been in a pub before either because <laughs> we grew up in a strong Christian tradition and my father was a came from a strict Baptist background where alcohol was pretty much forbidden. Um, so, and on a Sunday as well, Seriously shocking. we were um, uh, invited to go and take part in, in the final. Now, the final uh, took place in this pub and the, the, the audience, which was the parents and, and people come along, were on banked seats sort of facing, um, facing the front of the room. And at the front of the room, hilariously, um, the organisers had created a... A facade of a street, uh, I don't know, about 10 doors, all <laughs> propped up, uh, not quite against the wall, but, you know, you, you've got number three, yeah. number five, number seven, number nine, um, and with letterboxes. And each of us had to then go in front of the assembled guests and do a paper round, <laughs> effectively. The pressure of being watched. <laughs> well, no, that, that's it. I mean, honestly, it, it does sound a bit silly, um, but the pressure was huge. And um, there were a few things to trip you up along the way. And the one I remember was um, that one of the houses, one of the houses, um, when you put the paper through the letterbox, it wouldn't open. It was jammed shut. Um, but if you looked a bit carefully to the left, there's a little note saying um, a paper boy or paper girl. Um, there's a, the letterbox is jammed please put the newspaper in the box behind the plant so uh, sure enough there was a plant on the doorstep mm. and, and sure enough there was a box so if you'd bothered to read the note you'd put it in the box and that was that was gone to the next house uh, I gather that more than one person actually tried jamming it repeatedly into the letterbox and in the end tossed it over the top of the facade because it was just a facade <laughs> so they delivered it delivered it to the right house to the roof <laughs> yeah and they they didn't make it I, don't this think. Is, I feel like i'm really impressed by the level of like how how much they valued paper delivery same it's, like, it's, this is, it feels it's like, like whole competition is very high budget <laughs> yeah well it gets higher it gets fun. higher the budget because um uh, and i think oh the last thing was a whole block of flats effectively which hadn't been built i hasten to add, but it was like the cubicles as there was yeah. a sort of a, a matrix of cubicles uh, and some of the some of the numbers were the wrong way round, and some were missing and you had to sort of really guess basically it was terribly frightening and scary um, like a nine that had come unstuck and spun round to be a six instead, yeah. but you could see in the sequence it, it was the wrong one. <laughs> exactly like that. I could have designed this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyway, the long and the short of it was, at the end of the evening, uh, they actually selected ten winners from the 25. Ooh. So it was a good competition to have entered, and I was among the ten winners. Now, I know what you're thinking... The prize was probably like a three-month subscription to the Beano or something, you know, a little kind of um, <laughs> something that, which would have been good enough. But yeah. but no, the the prize was a long weekend, all expenses paid in Mallorca of all things what? <laughs> for being the best paper boy in Surrey. <laughs> well, no, no. Go. one of the one of the best ten. <laughs> one of the best, not, not, even, not even the best. That's incredible. I mean, if that I wasn't, if I hadn't lived this experience, change. I really wouldn't would believe my own story. Yeah. But um, so anyway, I'd never flown before, never left the country before. Um, I was fourteen. Um, it's a tribute to my parents, I think, that they let me go because it, you know people just didn't travel in the same way we do now. Mm. Um, and they dropped me off at Gatwick, uh, joined the other nine, and it, we were being chaperoned by a male photographer from the newspaper and a female journalist. They were supposed to look after us all weekend, but. To be perfectly honest, we hardly saw anything of them. Um, and that didn't matter too much because there was a, a sort of an organised programme of events. But we flew off from Gatwick um, and very exciting, landed, uh, were taken to a five-star hotel. Uh, I, mean, I just didn't know how to, I didn't know anything about hotels. And uh, we were given a, a meal in our rooms because we arrived late and uh, I was given this tray of stuff to eat. And I thought, well, 
um, because I've been brought up so correctly, I better take this tray back. And so I got into the into the lift. And this is quite funny now, having done a bit of hotel staying. And um, I got out at reception and wandered up to the reception with my tray of sort of slightly sorry half-eaten sandwiches and um, a dirty coffee mug and said, oh, here's the tray. And they, and he was so embarrassed. He said, oh, uh, take it to the kitchen, take it to the kitchen. I don't even know if he thought I was a guest because I was quite a young sort of <laughs> snippet. Um, so I got into the lift and it said kitchen and I went down to the kitchen <laughs> and took, took this tray back to the kitchen, <laughs> which was, I'm, I'm sure... Must have made a few people laugh, um, <laughs> yeah. but it was all amazing. And there was there was sort of all sorts of uh, experiences. Like um, they organised some uh, caves in Mallorca, and we went down on um, explanation exploration of these caves. And it was the first time I'd ever heard of or seen a stalagmite and a stalactite. Uh, gorgeous, absolutely beautiful things, um, all beautifully lit. And then at, at one point there was a sort of row of benches we all sat down on and they turned all the lights out and it's it's so dark you you don't get used to it it's you know there's no light to get mm. used to and as we were sitting there in the dark and um, we heard some music and then the lights began to come on and uh, a little boat appeared around the corner of a lake um with a quartet playing classical music <laughs> whoa lit by candles i mean oh my word magical for you and see- nine other post Children. Uh, and, and I think there was some other... children, aka an adult. Paper children. Well, I was, I was thinking about saying paper boy, but then it gave up post children. It was all wrong. <laughs> well, we know what you meant. But yeah, I mean, I think there might have been some other people who had joined on the tour of the case. But anyway, I mean, you can see why David was a bit miffed. Yeah, totally. He's done four years of hard graft delivering papers, and then you go on and all it's paid and weekend. <laughs> I, I don't think he would have succeeded on the round in the mock-up in the pub, though. I just don't think he had what it takes Whoa, to... It sounds to like fighting talk. I think we need to set up a recreation of that event and, and then get you two to compete against each other and see who, see who truly deserved that weekend away. Could be an evening activity. Um, so anyway, you're right, Tommy. It was an amazing experience. and I was just like... I was already kind of in shock from the whole kind of getting on an aeroplane being looked after you know mm. and then this was it was absolutely magical and the next night there was a medieval banquet um and uh, we were all sort of given loads to eat and uh, they were serving mead which i didn't know what mead was and that, that i happen to know is the first alcohol i ever drank was a little bit of mead because uh-huh. uh, i didn't know it was alcoholic and I, I rather liked it yeah. but, um, <laughs> Is what is mead? Is it sweet? Uh, is it like wine, mm. honey, wine, or something? Is that what it is? It's made from honey, but I don't know. I think I think it's mm. stronger than wine. Not sure. Um, mm. And then the next day they took it took us pony trekking, and there's actually a picture of me on a pony, and I don't look fourteen. I don't even. I don't know. I look about eight. I, I look so <laughs> young and kind of unsophisticated, shall we say? Oh. But um, do you still have that picture kicking around? We do, yeah, and that could be added Great. to our... That could be an Insta. Yeah, it definitely could. So that was my uh, very first job, was uh, as a paper boy in Surrey, and it, it paid, boy did it pay in spades, <laughs> not to mention holidays and dollars as well. So you've got three stories for us. What's, uh, what's story two? Well, story two is my next job, which is a fa- as a factory worker. And, um, I mean, this was, was interesting because... It was in a factory called RFD in Godalming. Uh, it was one of the sort of significant employers. And it was founded by Reginald Foster Dagnall. Uh, so you might be able to guess why it was called RFD. <laughs> but, I mean, they, they made anything that was sort of to do with inflatables. Um, so they particularly specialised in the transport industry. So they actually um, made... Um, an airship at one point, um, but their their sort of bread and butter stuff was making inflatable life rafts um, and life jackets, particularly for um, boats and planes. Um, the, the, those days, if you went on a boat anywhere in the world, they used to have these white pods on them, which were about, I don't know, two or three metres long and about a metre and a half high. And they still have them, actually, but in those days, everywhere in the world, they were marked RFD. They all came from Godling and Guildford. It was was like a global cartel. So it was a big sort of deal. Um, And my job uh, was to empty the bins. Every bin in the factory was... was So I went around the whole place with a big trolley, uh, emptying the bins. 
in fact, just in brackets, um, even when I went to Africa some years later, I went on a ferry and noticed that all the all the all the life rafts were marked RFD, and I, you know, I thought, oh, I might have seen that. Maybe when I was you've working there. disposed of the whatever from that one. Well, <laughs> the whatever you're the whatever you're talking about is exactly what about this story is about. Because when they reached the end of a material, whether it was a bit of stuff to make the life rafts with, they used to chuck the rest. If there wasn't enough left to make another life raft, they'd chuck it into my bin or into their bin, and then I'd chuck it into my bin. Mm. So, for example, when they were making a life raft, they had a bit of rope all the way around the outside, really good quality rope. Um, and let's say it was five metres or six metres around the edge. If they were left with four metres, which is a lot of rope, it's no use to anybody there, so mm. they chucked it in the bin. So I was chucking all this stuff in the skip, and I, it really bothered me. So um, I asked if I could take my car into the works and park it alongside the skip and if there's anything I didn't fancy throwing away I could put it in the boot of the car so I mean times haven't really changed because I still do that still do that now. <laughs> but um but anyway so so into this car went various the, the bits of rope for example and then uh, the rope came on really nice wooden cotton reels I say cotton reels but they were they were huge um and they were like a stool size um so mm. I didn't like throwing those out so they went in the car and then another another part of the production line was producing um, like what we used to call leatherette, which is a vinyl, but it looks like leather. It's kind of the texture is leather and it, it was for covering. Anyway, screeds of this came out, so I chucked that in the car. And then uh, another part of the production line um, was getting rid of um, poly- uh, poly- foam uh, for, 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 for upholstery of seats. And um, so that went in the car. And with all of this, I was able to make... Um, little stools that were covered in leatherette and had a nice soft cushioning. Uh, they were actually very cool, and I don't know what happened to them yeah. because um, we, I had some at, at college, I think. Um, used to go a few away. But, I mean, at the end of the day, most of it all got chucked away in the end anyway, but I had a lot of fun, fun with it in the meantime. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that would go for loads of money these days, I think, on Etsy, if you're Definitely. making, like... Yes. Especially from, like, a globally known um, life raft company, like, waste recycled stuff. That's like, yeah, that's... You're way ahead of your time, Shdee. Oh, absolutely. You've been a millionaire. But perhaps um, the, the funniest thing of all was they had this production line for making uh, life jackets for airlines... So they had this sort of conveyor belt with making them all and uh, they'd get the plastic and seal it up and then put the tubes on. You know, they've got a whistle to attract attention. If you've ever been listening to the safety announcements on mm-hmm, the aeroplane mm-hmm. and a light and a battery and a CO2 canister and a rip cord to open it to, to, to set it off and, you know, and the straps and all of that. And then it, it had a stamp on it that, that was instructions for you. So I mean, how on earth are you supposed to read them? on your chest but anyway it had instructions and then it had the rfd logo yeah we could read it on somebody else's i suppose yeah, <laughs> yeah you'd have to be in yeah. trouble with someone else <laughs> yeah everyone's there trying to read their own yeah. instructions and actually the key is find yourself a, a partner an emergency friend <laughs> that could be a tip a tip that we now we but might have done something useful with this podcast have you heard the story of the people who um is it they go to hell or something and they're given they're at this amazing banquet with loads of amazing food but they've all got knives and forks that are way too long for them to be able uh. to put it into their own mouths and and the the kind of moral mm. of the story is you can feed the person opposite you and they can feed you but you can't feed yourself but everyone's so intent on trying to feed themselves that they starve. They starve. Mm. Harsh. Powerful. Well, there's a tip for the top. Powerful short story. Mm. If you ever anyway. find yourself in hell. With long, feed, long thoughts. Feed the person opposite. Feed the person opposite. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, turns out, it turns out heaven's just the same, exactly, except that people know how to feed somebody else, maybe. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that is probably what the story yeah. does. Yeah. Anyway, do carry on. Uh, well, no, the, the thing is, this the last thing of all was the quality control. These things went down the production line and, and they're ready to go into the aircraft. But the very last thing of all was somebody was there to check whether the stamped instructions with the RFD logo were straight or not. Because sometimes it, the machine just stamped it a little bit crooked. And so he, his job was to look at it. And if it wasn't straight, he got a Stanley knife and he sliced the, um, the, through the fabric of the um, life jacket so it could never be used and chucked the whole lot in my bin. With its whistle, just its it, light, just and its battery. Just if the logo wasn't straight. Just if the logo wasn't straight. Yeah. That is madness. Living in the times of abundance. I just feel like that would never happen now, but maybe that's not well, true. Well, I mean, yeah. it was it, the fact that it happened then. Quality control. 
was crazy. Um, mm. So anyway, I collected a nice little collection of whistles and batteries and lights and um, <laughs> and CO two canisters and not sure what I did with any of it. But <laughs> it's, um, I feel like you had such you had like the perfect scenarios around you when you were a child to encourage more of like what you're interested in like little things like that I can just imagine totally. you being so happy with no, I, but, I, I mean yeah. absolutely I, I felt I landed on my feet there and um but the other thing was that I thought this is you know if they burnt some I mean there's loads of, of cardboard and stuff that could have been burnt I mean we weren't at all tuned into the environment in those days at all but I thought if they burnt stuff on site they wouldn't have to have to keep having these expensive skips coming and taking it away to and i think it was going to be burnt mm. anyway and they had a little uh, wooden box on the wall uh they got written on it suggestion box handwritten with a little paper label on it it looked like nobody put any suggestions in there for a million years and no- nobody had ever opened it so mm. anyway I, I put a little note in and said i think you could save quite a lot of money by installing an incinerator and popped it in the in the slot uh, never heard another thing uh, about it, except that my next-door neighbour, who also worked at this factory, um, he was a sort of biker, great chap with big leather boots and, and helmet. And, and a bike. The, um, and a bike, yeah. <laughs> he told me um, about two, three months after um, I'd left, so I was only there for six weeks, um, they installed an incinerator. Uh-huh. So, but, um, Legacy of Stephen Clark. I never got any recognition. Well, actually, to be perfectly honest, I don't wouldn't be surprised if my suggestion is still in that box, never having been read, and it was coincidence. <laughs> it was coincidence. Yeah. But, um, well, did you did you put your name to it? I did. Oh yes. No, because mm. there was there were they said <laughs> long weekends in Mallorca were on. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, no. I want recognition I for my suggestions. Yeah. Thank you. And I haven't had enough of long weekends in Mallorca. So <laughs> <laughs> I got tuned to them at an early age, and now that is what I expect. <laughs> You can never have too much of long weekends in, 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 in Walker. Now, as, as a matter of interest, um, RFD is, is long since is long since gone, I believe. Defunct. Uh, it was it was well, it was bought up and sold on and all the rest of it. But now RFD in the marine industry uh, is still a, th- a thing, and it, it for, for life rafts, and it means rapid flotation devices. Um, so it's huh. one of those things, a bit like a vacuum cleaner that's manufactured by Electrolux, but somebody calls it Hoover. Mm. Um, it's sort of they call it an RFD because it was came yeah. from RFD initially, but even though it's not Reginald um, Dagwell, Dagnall mm. who was who has made it. And the only other interesting thing about there was they they made these. You know, if, if there's an emergency with an aircraft, um, you pull the ripcord of the door and it, it inflates a chute that goes down to the ground, oh, yeah. and you can slide it, and that becomes a raft. They they made they were the very first company to make those. And um, there was on one day they announced that in the main sort of warehouse, all any worker who wanted to could come and, and witness the sort of testing of of one of those for Concorde, which was quite new in those days. I mean, I don't know when Concorde first flew. But it was in the late sixties, I think, and this would have been seventy five, seventy seven, something like that. Anyway. Uh, so we went in this huge hall and a little tiny box in the middle of it, mm. which is underneath the door of Concord. You know, it's it's where you go mm. in and out. It's part of the door, actually. Mm. And um, somebody triggered it somehow. And it, there was an almighty bang. And this went... <laughs> and there was a, a raft in the Lots middle of... Lots of hand gestures for podcast listeners. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and there was a raft. So that was that was, that was was quite, quite exciting, really. But it did make me think that... Uh, the people who sort of plan that factory, they they should do my job for a day and then they'd see a thousand things that could be improved sort of thing. Or, mm. And then they should go and do somebody else's job for a day. Um, and the only other sort of thing I took from that experience was at the end of the one of the production lines, there were two women um, and they had worked there for 38 years. They'd stood on the same spot, which is day in, day out, and I mean, they're 38 years. And they were very happy with it. They loved it. They had a lot of little community around them, um, you know, solved the problems of the world each day. But what I thought is, I don't think I'm cut out to be a factory worker. I think I, I got, I need something else, which turned out to be the case. So, and how old were you when you were doing the factory work? Mm. I was 17, 16, 17, 17, I think. You were still at school? I was still at school, you... yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But but they, they, you had to clock in, um, and that meant taking a card and pun- punching the time that you arrived in, the time you left, and your pay was based on that. And so um, if you were late, you were penalised. So at, at, you had to be in by nine o'clock, and I think there were two minutes. There was a two minute leeway, and if it if it was nine o three, 
it printed on your card in red. It changed to red ink um, to say this man, this person was late. Um, but the thing is, because everyone left it to the last minute, there's a queue at nine o'clock. So, you know, you were really annoyed. You were there in time. But then all these other yeah. people were in front of you stopping you. <laughs> do everything 10 minutes early. Uh, do everything 10 minutes earlier. That's very true. Good Wednesday wisdom. I'm pretty sure, and I'm sure Jess will be able to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but RFD is also a very important plot point in the series of Unfortunate Events series of books. Does you're close, you're close, but I think it's VFD. Uh, oh, I, was, I was having exactly so the same close. thoughts, because those, yeah. those three letters, I was like, they really ring a bell, um, and they were making me think of Unfortunate Events, but I think it is VFD. I, think it's VFD. Yeah. I never finished those books. No, I don't think I did either. I read a lot of them, and there's a point where they pretend, or what I assume you pretend you get what it means finally because I think there's a whole thing about like what do these things mean and I really remember it stood for well I was thought it was really fancy doilies but it's actually very fancy doilies is I think what it was supposedly supposed to stand for at one point but anyway we should probably read the books and then we could actually I never started them how sad is that Stephen it's never too late to start they're all on the bookshelf right behind you I think okay yeah that, that is true but I would say that my experience of them was really loving the concept so much but I think we maybe have like eleven of them or something, and 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 <laughs> sort of feeling much. like after after that many, you're still just reading the same sort of story and not really getting any kind of, aren't that they sort of set up lots of questions and don't quite answer them, and it you know mm, got a little no bit closure. frustrating. Did you did you, you haven't got any first job experiences to chip in? I I I can tell you about my first job. <laughs> tell me about your well, first job question can you remember what my first job was i'm gonna no. ask i'm gonna ask oh, oh interesting you can't uh, tommy can you remember what my first job was your first job i mean i'm i'm assuming it isn't um lk bennett it wasn't though no your i've first... got such a vague memory here that i'm trying oh. to claw to the to front of my mind <laughs> oh this is so interesting i it, for me obviously because it's my first job it, it felt very seminal but clearly it hasn't Tell us, tell us, to us out of our misery. Yeah, I really I, can't picture it, sorry. I was a sorry. waiter at Pizza Hut. Oh, of course oh, you were. Of course you were. Of course I was. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. great. It was my, yeah, my first experience of, of, yeah, going and doing a job and getting paid. When you say it was great. Yes. I, there, was, there was lots to really enjoy about it. At the time, it mm. was... Um, sorry, that wasn't me dissing the job. That was me remembering that you didn't like it, but I obviously remembered that wrong. Well, I, well, I mean, I'm sure, I'm, like, sure I'm sure there were, yeah, yeah mm, I mean, like definitely there, there were bits of it that I didn't. But what I did enjoy that, I mean, waitressing, waitering, you know, it, it's, it's a busy job. And so the time flies by because you're, you know, mm. you're working all the time. And there was, there was something about the kind of, you had to keep really on top of sort of what each table wanted and kind of where they were at with their meals. And, and I, mm. I quite liked the juggling of that and also then you know that was sort of reflected in your tips if you did a good job generally people tended to to tip I mean obviously you always got you always got you know I don't know the big birthday party for the five-year-old where they wouldn't tip you at all and you'd have spent your whole shift (laughs) kind of going back and forth trying to help them but (laughs) it was a but it was it was interesting because they were they were obviously all tips in in cash which but in you know sort of very small denominations and I realized that next door to uh the pizza hut was a barclays that had a coin counter machine so i basically i opened up an account Perfect. there just so i could go next door and put all my tips into the coin counter mm. machine it was like it was very satisfying smart move i i would totally echo your um uh thing about actually like working in a busy restaurant is you can get such a buzz off it if you work with the people who you work well with and if it's really busy and you're kind of like just doing everything as it comes in the moment and like yeah, I totally. When I've worked in a busy restaurant, I totally had the same like enjoyment of it. Um, it, it was it for me. Be, like... It was much more preferable than uh, retail work because I I can't mm. really cope with the the sort of slow the slowness often that retail work has and and the kind of I'm not a natural salesperson, so I I have no enjoyment in uh, in trying to convince someone to buy something that they don't obviously want. Whereas at a restaurant, mm. people people come to eat food so you're not you're not sort of selling it in the same way you're Mm. just like here's all the amazing options i can a menu yeah Yeah. what what was your first job Tommy? well i think it must have been um well actually i was gonna say it was working for stee's um charity that he worked for when we were um young but actually i think it was probably working for mum's job i came in and did some oh in the in the cellar or something temporary um (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I thought for a minute you meant the cellar was in the cellar that Mum worked at when no, you were first meeting each other. That was a bit long ago. No, the um, yeah, I did some filing work for um, Mum worked at uh, a firm of architects, so there was like loads of paperwork always everywhere. So I really remember going in and doing a bit of that, which I think you did before me, Jess, as well. I think didn't you? I definitely, I definitely did do a bit of that. Yeah. I think. But I mean, I didn't regularly. do it regularly, so it wasn't like a proper, I mean, proper job. No, no particular enterprises named, and certainly not mum's old job, but my impression of both of your work experiences when you were younger was that the managers that you had to account to were universally hopeless. I don't know if that's a poor or a wrong impression, but um, uh, ever so many of them seemed to be yeah. sort of really bad at their jobs. I think that's, prob- that's true of a, of a few places I've worked at, for sure, yeah. I can't remember at all about uh, Pizza Hut, though it wouldn't surprise me if that if that kind the of... pizza chains are available. I wasn't thinking of pizza, I was thinking of the pub you worked in and the cafe oh, you I worked mean, in and all that sort of thing, where they just were sort of yeah. worse the, than that, not being there at all. <laughs> the, the pub that I worked in, in when I yes. first moved to London was, was one of the worst jobs I've ever had. It was... Yeah. It, that was really... That was really it's, bad. <laughs> yeah, like the unnamed coffee shop um, that I worked in as well. Terrible. Like, just like you say, the, when the manager wasn't there, the shop ran so much better. <laughs> it was it's just, just, like, unbelievable that that meant that that person was, like, I don't know, getting paid more than everyone else. And, like, I don't know, very, it was a very weird time. I've got such an excellent tale about the coin counting machine in Barclays, but I don't know whether today's the time to tell it or not, really. It seems like <laughs> well, a perfect time to tell yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know... You know, that, you know that count where you put all your tips into? Um, just... At, at the same period of time, my sister Rosemary was um, working for a charity in Milton Keynes and they have a big snowy Santa scene in the in the shopping centre there. I know this sounds like a complete change of direction, but anyway, <laughs> every Christmas, every Christmas they have for eight weeks a big sort of visit Santa, spectacular snow scene with all winding paths and, and it's got lots of water underneath it. And people throw the coins into the water and make wishes. So eight weeks over Christmas... How much do you think gets thrown into the into the water? Have a guess. Ooh. Eight I weeks. Guess over Christmas. a lot. Yeah. Well, it's same. like sort of mostly small coins. I would like to say it's not sort of pound coins being thrown in for the most part. Yeah. But like every single family who comes past with a child is probably going to go, "Come along, little Alan. Why don't you flip a two penny piece in?" <laughs> yeah. Well, now here's, 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 here's guessing... a challenge for the, the. Wait a minute. Just challenge for the listener. Think of an, a figure in your mind before we spill the beans. Now, Jess, your your what's your figure? Okay, well, my, so my guess is five thousand pounds. <laughs> wow! What had you got in your head? Um, I I really don't. I was going to say two thousand, but I'm going to say like eight hundred pounds, and even that, I feel like could be loads. I don't know. Okay, watch my lips. The actual it averages uh, fifteen thousand pounds. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That so, is a 15,000 money. However, there is a. There I is should a go and be a fountain for eight weeks. Yeah, well, no, it's not it's quite that straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> but, however, if it was, go be a fountain for eight weeks and, and fulfill your life dreams. <laughs> I think you could make a very nice fountain, actually. Um, but you need a this, bit more but, water, but otherwise you're grand. No, but the big thing is that um, when you take the coins out of that uh, water, lots of other things have been thrown into the water and lots of other things have been mm. done in the water uh, when nobody's looking. And they are minging, absolutely minging. <laughs> so in order to actually get the 15,000 value, those... <laughs> they have to be the, the money has to be laundered. We need a money laundering <laughs> operation. <laughs> I was wondering why you just laughed. Oh, yes, I, <laughs> I said he came up with that joke, and I thought I'm going to laugh at that one. So I anyway, laugh. I love it. So, so Ro- Rosemary said um, that if I could help her with her, the the, the, the um, it was all given to charity, and but somebody had to count it, and the people who counted. In my head, I think it was a thousand pounds was going to be paid for counting the, the coins, but they all all had to be cleaned, and it's a massive weight. So I, at the time, I had an LDV van which could take uh, two tons, I think, and um, we we went down several times. Went down to Milton Keynes and filled buckets with coins um, and put them in the back of this van, and then I distributed them to people around Leamington Spa telling them to clean them however they wanted to get them clean and dry and then I would collect them back 
And we went and tipped them all into that Barclays coin counter mm. machine, mm. which broke the machine actually because Did it was it? meant for it was meant <laughs> meant for counting tips really, um, which which are not sort of fifteen thousand pounds worth. Yeah. Um, but but you know some people put them in Coca Cola um, and and that seemed to do a good job to clean them. But getting them dry took took a long time because there's mm. huge volume and weight of this stuff. Um, and then one time I was in Barclays when it broke the machine and you know it it, it was very clever. It whistled them all around and and how many fives, how many twos, how many ten p's, total amount this, put it into the count. And then you could hear a great kachunk. And when he opened it up for me to, to sort of to fix it, I could see that it just dumped all the coins back in the same bin again. So having separated <laughs> them all out again, it just put them back in the same bin. So how crazy is that? That, that seems like a real design flaw, but mm. it's a very satisfying machine, I would say. I really, I, yeah, I always liked going and sort of tipping my tips in and being like, oh, I wonder how much this will come to. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's why was... they're called tips, because you have to tip them into a tip counting machine. Oh, wow. Food for thought. Food, food for tree food, food for thought. For, food for throwing out. Oh, sorry, Tommy. No. <laughs> so harsh. <laughs> but true. I, but true. We were all thinking it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, can I just whip you through my third job before we finish? Have we got time? How, what are you feeling? Yeah, please. Do. Okay. So, um, when I was, uh, before I went off to college and school, I sort of thought I liked being out and about. My family used to go on holiday outdoors all the time, go for walks. And I thought I'd like to, to work in forestry. So um, I got a sort of position with a forestry company near us. Small thing run by one man. He had three employees. And I was part of the Youth Opportunities Programme, which they used to call the YOP scheme in those days. And it was an idea to reduce unemployment. And it was an absolute scam. So um, basically, um, I got, I think, £5 a week. The employer got £15 a week. And I got experience and the employer got paid by the government to take on somebody who was a no hoper like me, you see, for example. So um, but even though I probably wasn't quite a no hoper, I used the scheme to get experience in forestry. So I turned up at this place every day and um, it was funny because it was a little village, not dissimilar to where we live here in France now. And it sort of introduced me to a little bit to village politics and there were things that go on under the surface um, but we did a bit of, you know, planting and, and felling trees. And the very first day um, I got to work with, for this chap, he said, the first question he asked me was, can you drive a tractor? And I thought, well, how difficult can driving a tractor be? So I said, yes. <laughs> so he gave me the keys so to this shed and I went up to the shed and I opened the door. And I, I, I can't tell you that this tractor is called a county tractor. And people who are listening who know what a county tractor is will will understand. But I mean, I was... Uh, well, I was I was seventeen, I think then. Um, but the, anyway, every wheel of this tractor was was bigger than was higher than me. It wasn't it was, it was taller than me. It had four enormous wheels. I I didn't even know how to climb up onto it. I'd alone drive the wretched thing. <laughs> it took me about an hour to figure out how to get it to go forward without sort of damaging. Oh, anything. so you persevered. I, I did persevere. The kind of you were just oh, Steve. You are so Steve Clark. It's unbelievable. Well, the thing I, was, I think was, everybody else would have just turned around and been like, "Sorry, <laughs> I don't think I can." But you're like, "Well, no, loss of out. face, loss of face, and humiliation is so yeah. so powerful." Anyway, um, the thing I wanted to say was that uh, uh, he, my boss, found that I could actually be fairly relied on to do what I was told, and um, being quite compliant. Um, even if I did lie through my teeth about being able to drive tractors. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he got a contract to do some work in London for the Duke of Westminster, who at that time was the richest man in Britain, I do believe. And um, he earns sort of shed loads of Mayfair and all lots of, of London. And the job was to go and plant trees in the sort of fancy squares um, of London to, for, the, for the future skyline. Of the, of the city so uh, I went to Belgrave Square for example and Eaton Square with my truck uh, set off every morning um, drove up to London had a permit to park there had a key to the little park gardens and would plant these trees in certain places that were marked in the squares um, and the idea would be that in the future they would um, they would grow up and the, when the plane trees start to die back um, you know they would become part of the the, uh, the skyline and um, I used to go back every year or two whenever I was in London and just check on their progress just for fun to see how that... I mean, I wouldn't be able to do that now. To, but I was thinking about this just um, 
in preparation for this uh, fourth edition of the Pod Clarks. And I, it dawned on me that that's actually... I was 18 at the time. I'm 62 now. That was 44 years ago, which means those trees are 44 years old. Fully grown. Wow. Pretty much, yeah. And so affecting the skyline of we, London. We have to go and have a look. <laughs> we do. Do you, you know where... You could send us, like, on a map where it is, presumably. But, the, but there were lots of trees in those squares, you see, and, and other people yeah, have but, planted you know, since. But anything that's got yeah. a trunk big enough to put your arms around, but not much... You know, almost. What am I trying to say? Mm. Big enough to put your anything that looks forty-four years old. That's the one. (laughs) That's so cool. So I would, I would just venture to suggest that as three starter jobs, they were pretty, pretty interesting. Well, they were to me anyway. Definitely and very Mm. varied as well. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's my thing. Throughout life, I think I'm a jack of all trades, which means I can do anything. But nothing very well. That's what I say. <laughs> I think you do yourself a disservice by saying nothing very well. I think you do lots oh, of things definitely. very well. Yeah. Podcasts? Po- 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 <laughs> Podcasts? Pod- can't say it, but you can do it. <laughs> you can't say it, but... Uh... I, think, I think there's a lot to be said, though, for your attitude towards those jobs, because I'm sure there are huge numbers of people who would really be up, you know, like, oh, all I've had is a factory job and all I've had is a... Yeah. you know it'd be so easy to not enjoy those things but you found the question you could, is and you would. do we think it's all really motivated by the fact that your very first job got you a an all expenses paid weekend <laughs> in Mallorca <laughs> and now you're hoping that every job since might <laughs> also yield the same results and really got, it's a yeah. lifetime of striving for for all expenses paid weekends still waiting well, for the second one well my later job did give me breakfast with the American president but that's the story for another time <gasps> oh trailer <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank oh, you very much, Stephen. You're very welcome. I wondered um, what that O was. It was the two excellents coming at the same time. That was what that <laughs> was about. Yeah, I didn't realise. Yeah. We've already so uh, the latest uh, in the pod, no, in the Clark's news is that um, I've moved from being Rishdi to being with Jess now. So everything has changed behind the scenes, and uh, we've already started like saying things at the same time and just generally being twins that we aren't actually twins. <laughs> but you know, I know it's, it's scary sometimes. We keep we keep doing the same thing, and then you think how how is it possible that? Because also, I can't remember if I was telling any of you this that. I worked out it's been 13 years since Tommy and I have lived together, which is that, bonkers. That I don't is feel old enough for that to be true. Unbelievable. Mm. You, you evidently are, but it's unbelievable. Um, oh, Jess, any news on the dress? Yeah, well, I was... Oh, I was, you wouldn't I, mention it. <laughs> I was so certain I was going to... I could see this recording date coming up and I thought, I'm going to finish it, I'm going to finish it, I'm going to finish it. And, uh, uh, spoiler now, alert, it is not finished. But the the updates, the updates are that the pockets are in, the edges are all finished. It's basic. I think the only thing I have left to do is to actually sew it together. It's still a drapey robe, but I think my next job is to sew it together. And then, I mean, I really hope that I like it because it's very hard to tell at the moment how it actually sits as a dress until I've kind of sewn it together. And, you know, we, we're still in the phase where it could all be a big old waste of time, but... I think there'll be great joy taken from just having spent time making it and it being like, I made this thing. I think it'll be great. I hope so. (laughs) Drapey robe, that's the word of the day. I like it. (laughs) You drapey robe. Presumably everybody who's listening to this has listened to the previous ones and understands that Jess was making a Jess... A a dress? (laughs) Jess was making a dress for herself um, to be, like, uh, sustainable and, you know, um, less wasteful and all these things, which is great. Um, So a good time to mention that our cousin Samuel has uh, set up a new business called Yes Friends, which um, we are all so impressed and excited about. But he's basically... um, He's worked in sustainable clothing for a long time and has curated a shop in Bristol called uh, Found Here. Here spelt H-E-A. Um, but this is his latest thing he's doing. And it's about um, trying to improve the pricing of ethical and sustainable clothes. So I think um, if anybody has spent time looking into it, there often are great costs involved with buying those kind of clothes. Um and so he's sourced a T-shirt which costs seven ninety nine and is like uh, certified by like organic standards and maker welfare and and it's not it's not doing any sort of greenwashing which I think we there's a lot mm. of going at the on at the moment while we're all kind of much more conscious of the environment that it means that there's a lot of brands that kind of I, I heard one thing which might have actually come it might have been um, 
I don't know if it's Samuel that sort of pointed me towards this, but that's, that there have been some brands that have been known to say, like, um, sustainably and ethically made on, like, a label, and they're just talking about the label. Oh. You know, which is just, yeah. like... I mean, I, I sort of really hope those kind of practices are, are not widespread, but, but you know, there's mm. lots of like that, and it's it's really exciting mm. that, yeah, our cousin's doing this really exciting thing. Um, mm. Their Yes Friends brand if uh, on Instagram, and I think that'll lead you to their website as well, but, yeah, have a check out of Yes Friends. And buy a T-shirt. It's, a, it's cheap as chips and ethically produced, so buy a T-shirt, <laughs> friends. Yeah, because I think uh, a lot of people in this, this sort of uh, circle of, what am I trying to say, of, like, people who are into sustainable clothes and talk about it online will say, like, the most sustainable T-shirt you have is the one you already own because you, you shouldn't just go out and buy a T-shirt if you want a T-shirt. But I think this is a really exciting new brand and this they make a black T-shirt and a white T-shirt. They're very, like, classic T-shirts that you everybody will use regularly. Um, I feel like this is a really exciting thing to, to jump on. So, yeah. Thanks, Samuel. Well done for everything you're doing. In fact, I think they're cheaper than chips because if you're a family of four like us, for example, and you go out and buy fish and chips, so I think true. you spend more than that on chips, I reckon. There you go. Yeah. Buy Maybe. one. Cheaper than chips. So there we go. All right, Pogplarks. I think that wraps us up for this episode. But good stories, it does. Dad. Thanks. Yeah, totes. Yet another smash hit. <laughs> Amongst us. Smash Amongst hit. Us. Amongst us. I well, had a great time. You know what to do. Check out the Podclarks on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. You can find us wherever we are. The Podclarks. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, at the Podclarks. And easy, do give easy. us a comment or a like or tell us what you think so we can improve it. Do yeah, you know, apparently, give us a rating. Apparently the most, the most important thing is to go on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating if you think we're five stars because apparently that makes it show up for lots of people and all we want is to become really popular and famous and to just, you know... And even if you didn't like it, just give us a five-star rating because... Yeah. What else <laughs> What harm could it do? <laughs> all we need is validation from you. Please, some validation. You got it. Well, there's just one more thing to say and that is, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from him. <laughs> I say it's goodbye from me. <laughs> oh, okay. It's goodbye from me then. Who's oh, it doesn't matter. It's, a, it's an old joke. Doesn't Bye. matter. Bye. Bye. Bye.